called us here. And our first passage we're going to look at this morning is at Jeremiah chapter 13, verses 1 through 11. Boys and girls, make sure you have your uh, children's version with you there so you can uh, follow along. We'll be referring to that as well. And before we go to God's Word, let's pray together. <clears throat> oh, Father God, we do ask that you would come to us once again, that as we come to your Word, you would give us truth for our growth, for our transformation. Holy Spirit, bring us, bring us conviction, but also bring us renewal and change. Build us up. And encourage us through Christ, we ask. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> so again, here we are, the uh, beginning of 2015. And as we have been thinking about and planning for months, one of the things that I was just struck with several times over the course of the last six, seven months was how much people openly express how they do not like living here. And Henry is not the first person I asked to do a testimony, and so far it's 100% every person I've asked to do a testimony about positive about Orangeburg has been like, uh, I don't know if I could do that. People are kind of just resigned to the fact, well, this is it, you know. <clears throat> One of the things that your leaders have been praying about and asking for wisdom in is, is, is <clears throat> what do we do about the, the lack of, of evangelism, the lack of a real outreach fervor in our congregation. What do we do? And one of the things that I've come to realize is that, you know, it's real hard to reach out and love the people where you live if you don't love the city where you live. It's real hard to hold on loving the people but hating the place. I can't do it. It's real hard. And so we're going to spend the next month, again, as a run-up, trying to why should we love Orangeburg? Why should we be a blessing to Orangeburg? How God is going to challenge us to do that. After our, our, our mission statement, or our motto as a church is building God's church and blessing our community. Well, that's Orangeburg. So how are we to be a blessing to our community? The first place we're going to look for wisdom today is in Jeremiah chapter 13. Jeremiah, at this point in his ministry, his whole ministry, basically served in what we would call a post-Christian culture. There had been complete unfaithfulness in Jeremiah's day for over a generation. So much so that the temple was closed. Dust was all over the place. No one had been in there in over a generation. They were worshiping at all these pagan idols. And this new king came in, a, a reform-minded king. And he was faithful to what God wanted to do. So he opened up the temple. And when they opened up the temple, they found this book in there, the books of Moses. Like the first five books of the Bible. They found it like, what is this? They had no idea what it was. It had been over a generation. No one knew what God's Word was. And so they started reading God's Word. God called Jeremiah about that same time to go on a preaching circuit around the land. So he got God's Word and preaching, and the people didn't care. Could have completely cared less. Like in our day, the people had the Word of God. They had opportunity to worship. They had faithful places now to worship but they just didn't really find God or His Word attractive, at least not as attractive as these other things. And so nothing happened. Nothing changed. And that's right where our text picks up today. <clears throat> so if you would, you please look with me at Jeremiah chapter 13, verses 1 through 11. This is God's Word. Thus says the Lord to me, Go and buy a linen loincloth and put it around your waist and do not dip it in water. So I bought a linen loincloth according to the word of the Lord and put it around my waist. And the word of the Lord came to me a second time. Take the loincloth that you have bought, which is around your waist, and arise. 
go to the Euphrates and hide it there in a cleft of the rock. So I went and hid it by the Euphrates as the Lord commanded me. And after many days, the Lord said to me, Arise, go to the Euphrates and take from there the loincloth that I commanded you to hide there. Then I went to the Euphrates and dug and I took the loincloth from the place where I had hidden it. And behold, the loincloth was spoiled. It was good for nothing. Then the word of the Lord came to me. Thus says the Lord, Even so will I spoil the pride of Judah and the great pride of Jerusalem. This evil people who refuse to hear my words, who stubbornly follow their own heart and have gone after other gods to serve them and worship them, shall be like this loincloth, which is good for nothing. For as the loincloth clings to the waist of a man, so I made the whole house of Israel and the whole house of Judah cling to me, declares the Lord, that they might be for me a people, a name, a praise, and a glory. But they would not listen. This is God's word. It's an odd text. Let's just own that from the very beginning. Kind of an odd text. But God has some great things for us in here. So I want to give you where we're going to go today. I want to give you a theme or a sentence. You can use this at your own private worship throughout the week, your family worship perhaps. And here's where we're going to go today. We are a blessing to Orangeburg when we show off God's beauty. That's what this text is about. We're going to get there. Trust me on this one. We're going to see that we're supposed to show off God. But through pride, we ruin ourselves until restored in Jesus. So let's look at that together. Showing off God's beauty. I want to eventually, for this passage, I want to land and spend most of our time on verse 11. But we've got to get there first, okay? So God comes to Jeremiah and tells him to do an object lesson. He says, go and purchase a linen loincloth. I don't know about you, but when I first read this, as I kept studying it, it didn't get any better. What came to my mind immediately, if you'll forgive me, is a pair of tidy whities that's what I was thinking of. In fact, I walked into John Mark's office Monday morning and I looked at him and said, why did you let me pick a passage about underwear? How am I going to preach on that? And he looked at me like, it's your show, man. <laughs> Thankfully, though, Hebrew is not English. This is not an undergarment. The word used here has multiple uses. It's typically something wrapped around the waist. And then as the context of verse 11 will make clear, this is something to be seen. So Jeremiah was a prophet, probably wore a robe or something. So what we're talking about is not a pair of tidy whities What we're talking about is something that he would wrap around his waist that would really, really stand out. Like something multicolored against uh, something black would be a good example. I just couldn't think of one. So here he comes... And he's told to buy this thing, and he's told to buy it linen. Now, in that day and age, most people wore some sort of robish type thing, and they had a belt. Most people, it was rope-ish. If you had a little bit of money, or you had a blue-collar-ish type job, it would be leather. But if you were a person of means, it would be linen. Linen is a very fine material. It's made out of plant but they could actually weave it so fine that real handmade linen is very difficult to distinguish from silk. I didn't know that. So it's very fine. So God tells him to go buy an expensive, showy 
belt, sash. It's meant to be noticed. It's meant for people to, people would see this like, oh, wow, look at Jeremiah's got. So he's meant to go spend this money. It's a fancy belt. It's expensive. It's a piece of decoration. It's meant to draw attention. And after he wears it for a while, God tells him to go on down to the river and bury the thing in the rocks, in the mud. So Jeremiah obeys, and he leaves it there for a significant amount of time. Now, if I had the forethought, I would have taken this and buried it. But, Shaley, you made this, didn't you? Did you make this yourself? So anyway, I'm not sure if Shaley made this, but I borrowed this from Shaley. I figured I shouldn't bury it in the mud, so I didn't bury it in the mud. But you can imagine if I left this for a significant amount of time hidden under some rocks down by the Edisto, right? Well, God commands him after a while to go back and get it and dig it up. In verse 7, we're told that it's spoiled. It's good for nothing. This flashy, decorative belt, this sash thing was now useless. Couldn't work at all. It was no longer pretty, and it could no longer keep his robe together. It didn't have any tensile strength having rotten, so it, it, it's not good to look at it, and it doesn't work. In terms of its beauty and in terms of its usefulness, it's no good. And then God himself explains that just like that pretty sash is now ruined, so too God is going to come in judgment to his people. He's going to spoil and ruin the pride and the arrogance of his people. Now here's the point I want you to get. We're not going to land on the judgment. That's easy. We're not going to do that. Here's the point. God says that my people, just like that belt, Jeremiah, they're no longer good to look at, and they're no longer useful. So they're spoiled. And then God says something truly extraordinary about his people. And that's where I want to land. Look with me at verse 11. Let's look at this verse again. He says this, For as the loincloth clings to the waist of a man... So I made the whole house of Israel and the whole house of Judah cling to me, declares the Lord, that they might be for me a people, a name, a praise, and a glory, but they would not listen. Remember, this belt, this sash thing was useful and it was pretty. It had a twofold purpose. Like most clothes, it has a twofold purpose. I mean, all of us have that, you know, lounging around the house section of clothes, right? Very, very comfortable, where the practical is much more important. The useful is much more important how they look. And for most of us, we don't care what we look like in that one. But then there's the clothes for going out with other people. And those clothes, well, how they look on us is very important. In fact, we will wear something uncomfortable if it looks real good on us, right? Because that's what matters. Because clothes have twofold purpose. Look good and work, right? That's why we can walk into a closet full of clothes, men and women, and say, what? I have nothing to wear. Because none of it at that moment gives you the emotional response of looking good. You're like, I got nothing. Whereas your, and your spouse comes in and is like, uh, are you, do we need glasses? Right? So, why am I belaboring this point about clothes? Because that's the metaphor in this verse. He tells us, That just as this linen sash was around Jeremiah's waist, so too God intends his people to be around him. In other words, God wants to wear his people. 
Again, the context shows this is clothing that's not just practical. This is clothing that's meant to show off, meant to draw attention, meant to make you look good, to be attractive in. God wants us, his people, to be one of his favorite outfits, is what the metaphor is telling us, if we'll really look at it. I mean, if you're wearing a really nice outfit, you know, a, a dress that fits you very well or a suit that's cut just right, and you look very good in it, and someone comes up to you and says, wow, that's a really nice dress. Or, wow, that's a really good suit. Are they complimenting the suit? Are they actually complimenting the dress? Right? This is class participation time, right? This means yes. This means no. Thank you very much, okay? That's right. No! They're complimenting the wearer of the outfit. They're complimenting you because of the clothes. You know what that means for this passage? God himself intended his people, us, the church, to be what makes him look good and gets him compliments. People should look at the church and they should say, wow, that's a nice suit, God. Now, in case you think I'm pushing it, in case you're like, okay, Sean's going off the deep end again, look again at verse 11. We're told God wants to wear his people. Why? That they might be for me a people, a name, a praise, and a glory. You know, every culture has certain, certain desires that tend to be shared by people across that whole culture. For our culture, most people want more money, they want more time, and they want more freedom to use their time and money for something that's fun and shiny. That's pretty universal in our culture, the chief desires. Well, these four things in verse 11 were the heart's desire of that culture. When Jeremiah said, verse 11, the people hearing it went, yes, I want that. To be a people, to have a family was a sign of blessing and status. To have a name meant not just that you were famous, but more importantly, that you would be remembered after your death. You had a remembrance. To be a praise is actually literally the word for a hymn or a song. People thought you were so valuable that they wanted to remember you and teach others about you, so they made a song about you. And to be a glory. This is not the normal word for glory, which we've seen a couple uh, Sundays ago, which usually meant significance or wealth. This is a different word. This word actually means splendor, or it's used in the context of meaning honor. But most often in the Old Testament, this is the word used for beauty. So literally, God says, I wear my people so I can be beautiful. See, in that culture, the ultimate compliment was for someone to look at your life, to look at the sum total of what you have accomplished, who you are, and to say, beautiful, glorious. Do you understand what this verse says then? God intends for us, his church, to be what brings him a family, what brings him fame, what causes others to sing about him. To sum it all up, we are supposed to make God beautiful to others. What an amazing thought. Oh, boys and girls, I don't want you to miss this. So look with me at your verse 11. This is amazing. Here's what, here's what God is trying to tell us. It says this, <clears throat> Just like you wore that belt and it looked good on you, I want to wear my people 
They are supposed to be my family to show off and bring me praise. They are supposed to make me even more beautiful. But they refuse. See, boys and girls, have you ever noticed that mom and dad like to take pictures of you? And that mom and dad like to put those pictures on Facebook? And then they keep checking Facebook to see how many likes they get because of it. You know why? Because people like to show off their family. And most people, their, their kids are better looking than they are. So they're like, look what I can do. Or is that just me? Okay, anyway. So it makes mom and dad feel good to have people like their kids. And so they, you, boys and girls, make your mom and dad feel good. So they want to show you off. And our, our God says in verse 11 that he feels good, boys and girls, when others look at his family and see something beautiful. Isn't that a great thought? See, for all of us, God wants to put us on like a suit or a party dress and hear, you look beautiful. Now, for some of you right now, you're sitting here and that makes God sound kind of needy. That's because we've lost the concept of beauty in our culture. Beauty doesn't mean pretty. It's much deeper. It's more profound than that. We get closer to it when we use the word attractive because that indicates some sort of draw to something else. Maybe many of you hopefully have heard about Jonathan Edwards. Jonathan Edwards lived in the late 1700s. He was the best theologian America has ever produced. One of his many, many unique contributions to Christian Christian thought was that he organized the Christian life under the idea of beauty. The Bible speaks of the excellence of God, Jonathan Edwards would say, that's beauty. The Bible speaks of the holiness of God, and Jonathan Edwards would say, that's beauty. The Bible speaks of the incredible loving grace of God, and Jonathan Edwards would be, that's part of the beauty of God. Edwards looked at the Christian life with the idea of sinners becoming beautiful because of the beauty of God. Isn't that a great way to think about the Christian life? That's how we are to attract others to God, is they see us becoming more beautiful, and they want to know how, why. Christians are supposed to be beautiful. Christians, sinners, transformed by the gospel, are pictures of the beauty of God. And guess what? Orangeburg needs beauty. We are called to show Orangeburg the beauty of our beautiful God. We need to love our place and love the people of our place so we can show them, so we will want to show them the beauty of God. I mean, it is popular to be down on Orangeburg. It is obvious that our town is poor in spirit. One of the ways we can make a huge difference is to love Orangeburg, to seek its beauty and to seek its blessing. Because God loves Orangeburg. And God wants Orangeburg to reflect his beauty. The people of Jeremiah's day had this exact same calling for their towns. And they refused. Because, as this passage tells us, they were spoiled by pride. God tells Jeremiah straight up, here's why my people are good for nothing. And don't miss that. God looks at his people, the apple of his eye, and says, you're good for nothing. Why? Verse 10, look with me. It says this, this evil people 
who refuse to hear my words, who stubbornly follow their own heart and have gone after other gods to serve them and worship them, shall be like this loincloth, which is good for nothing. It's pretty hardcore to hear God say that about his people. He says they stubbornly follow. That phrase, those two words used together, are repeated throughout the Old Testament as the idea of running life on your own terms. The idea of not submitting to God's instructions. The idea of setting one's own rules. Of basically being the God of your own life. That sounds a lot like our culture, doesn't it? That sounds a lot like us, good church folk. I will do what I want to do. What makes me happy. What feels good. And if I can somehow add God into that, well, that's great. But primarily is what's, what's important is me. And here's the problem. Here's why so many of us are down on Orangeburg. It doesn't feel good to be in Orangeburg. We have a big problem with not feeling good about things. And so we look at the daunting task of, of lifting up and being, bringing beauty to a downtrodden, poor-in-spirit community like ours, and it's exhausting to even think about, isn't it? It's not a happy thought. But even framing the issue that way, which I know we do, is actually following after on our own hearts. It's doing exactly what the people of Jeremiah's day did. We're to look at making Orangeburg beautiful, not because it will help us, but because for God's sake, we're to reflect his beauty in Orangeburg. We must ask ourselves then, do we live in such a way that the God we worship is admired by others? Do they see him as beautiful because of us? Because that's the mission of God's people right here in Orangeburg. We are to make God attractive, beautiful to people. Let's look at the other thing that God says the people in Jeremiah's day did. He says that they gave their hearts to other gods. They served them, it says. They worshipped them. They found hope. They found fulfillment in them. This wasn't just stumbling into idolatry. This was pursuing after it and liking it and loving it and continuing into it. This is saying, no, it's not the beauty of God. No, it's not. It's showing people the beauty of God. But it's these idols, these things that fulfill me. This is where I get beauty, not from that. No, dear flock, we are not a primitive people. None of us have danced around a totem pole probably ever in our life. I would hope. None of us have sacrificed a live animal to Baal. Maybe to gluttony, but we've never done it to Baal. But do not be fooled. We have hearts that love idolatry. We can be idolaters. We can give our hearts to things that are not of God, and we can worship them. You know, Martin Luther is famous for teaching the idea that you never break commandments 2 through 10 without first breaking commandment 1. You never lie, steal, cheat, commit adultery, all those other things without first looking at commandment one. You shall have no other gods before me and saying, I disagree. And the God I serve allows me to lie, steal, cheat, therefore I will lie, steal, cheat. You see what he's saying? What he's saying is that you must at first look at commandment one and say no, and therefore two through, t- through ten are then acceptable. That's idolatry. Look into your heart right now and ask yourself, what am I worshiping? Here's, here's a way to think about it. An idol is anything we look to to give us what only God can give us. 
Here's a clue. Here's a way to help you diagnose yourself. What scares you so much that it's the main thing you worry about? That's probably an idol in your heart. If you lose that thing, or if it fails, or if it doesn't work out, you worry about it constantly because it has your heart. You've given your life to it. It's an idol you're serving. Or not to be Debbie down, let's be a little more positive, okay? How about this one? What's your daydream? What brings you joy? What is your happy place you go to in stress? You think, if I could just have this, everything else can fall apart. I just need this and I can be happy. If I can just get to this point, that's your idol. It has your mind's attention. It has your heart's affection. It is the longing of your soul. Its beauty is what you behold instead of the beauty of God through Jesus Christ. Because you see, in our selfishness and pride, we are spoiled as well. We go after the beauty of the trinkets of this life, and we think, if I can just collect enough of them, I'll be happy. I'll have joy. I'll have peace. And just like in Jeremiah's day, for those of us in the church, God will ruin that pride for our good. He will spoil it. But there is another way. Instead of being ruined for our idolatry, for our refusing to show off the beauty of God, we who are spoiled by sin, who are spoiled by idolatry, the hope that is offered to us in the gospel is that we can be made fresh in Christ. Because remember, God intends for His people to show off, to be noticed, to, to make Him look more attractive. We're to make God beautiful to others, but we're marred by sin. We're marred by selfishness. Verse 10 describes us if we're honest. And if we're candid with ourselves, we don't feel beautiful. And we haven't really thought of God being beautiful before. He's more of that big taskmaster in the sky, right? Always a little angry with us. We never quite think we've done enough to please him. And so we come to church hoping it will be enough that he will bless us and give us a good life, but we're never really sure. Don't raise your hands, but I know most of you believe that. And that you're a little freaked out by this whole idea of the beauty of God. That's okay. I want to go back to our theologian of beauty, Jonathan Edwards. One of the things that he taught over and over again was the idea that the beauty of God is seen in Jesus Christ most profoundly. And then the beauty of Jesus Christ is beheld in the gospel. See, it's when we embrace the gospel, when we see that we don't have to earn God's love. It's not that God loves us because we're cute or because we're beautiful. No, in the gospel, He makes ugly sinners beautiful. In His mercy, while we were sinners, God placed His love on us through Jesus Christ. In the gospel, the beautiful God makes us beautiful too. When we get that, it will change us. We will then take God's beauty to our community because the beauty of God makes us profoundly joyful and happy. I've encouraged you to take your uh, worship booklet home during the week because we've we've put some good stuff in there for you. One of the things we put in there, if you all turn to the sermon notes page, the very bottom of that page, you put a quote by Jonathan Edwards I want to look at together. There's no slide for this. 
I believe. So look with me at, at um, the bottom of your bulletin in the sermon note page. Here's what Jonathan Edwards said. This is great. God communicates himself to his people. He imparts of his own beauty. They are said to be partakers of the divine nature. They are partakers of God's holiness. So God communicates to his people of his own happiness. They are partakers of that infinite fountain of joy and blessedness by which he himself is happy. God is infinitely happy in himself and he gives his people to be happy in him. What an amazing promise that none of you believe. Isn't that crazy thought? Have you ever thought that before? That the infinite joyful fountain, that when God looks at the Son, He just loves Him so much it drives Him crazy. And that when the Son looks at the Father, it just gives Him goosebumps all over the place. And when they look at each other, the Holy Spirit emanates from that. And they just love each other. And Jonathan Edwards says that in the gospel, we somehow get a pipeline right into that, right into our lives. And we're like, yay. Praise God from right. The joy and happiness of God's beauty is yours for the taking. And it's yours for the giving to Orangeburg. Oh, what would it do to Orangeburg if we actually got a vision for this beautiful God, this happiness, where we actually saw ourselves not as dirty underwear, which we obviously do as Christians, but we saw ourselves as something meant to make God look more attractive, to make God look more beautiful, to make people go, is he wearing a colored thing on his robe? That's our calling. Oh, let's not be spoiled in no good. If we embrace the gospel, when it becomes who we really are, when the beauty of God overwhelms us, it makes us a happy people. And being a happy person in a community that's poor in spirit will mess it up. You want to mess up Orangeburg? Go be happy about being here. Try it. That happiness will be attractive to a downcast people. Orangeburg is supposed to get a glimpse of the beauty of God through us. What a privilege. Maybe you've never thought about the gospel in terms of beauty before. Maybe this idea of God having a people to show off is a little freaky to you. You're like, I don't know about this. One more to make my case and we'll, we'll close with this. If you would, would you look with me at the slide? We have Ephesians chapter 3 verses 8 through 10 here. Paul's talking about his ministry and one of the purposes of his gospel ministry. And look what he says. He says, To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. Okay, why? So that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. See, Paul says he's to preach the gospel, to show forth the mysterious beauty of God. Why? So that through the church, God would be seen as wise and attractive. It's the same thing for Jeremiah. God wants to show off how great and how beautiful he is through his people. When we let the beauty of God come into our life and change us, we have the privilege of then attracting others to that beauty. Do you know the beauty of God in the gospel like that? Because only this gospel blesses Orangeburg.
Only Christianity expressed biblically in the gospel can show Orangeburg the beauty of God. Not, and I'm a southerner, so I get to say it, not the southern church-ianity that so many of us are familiar with. Of Dress up on Sunday, don't use bad language, be moral, have traditional values, work real hard to keep that all together so you can impress God with your good religious life. No, that, that, that makes people ugly. Let's repent of being ambassadors for that religion, okay? That's not Christianity. Instead, behold the beauty of God in Jesus Christ. Be completely transformed and made beautiful by his beauty. You can be free from your sin in Jesus Christ. You can be made happy in Jesus Christ. And you can make your world and your town a more beautiful place in Jesus Christ. That's the gospel. That's our calling. The question is, this year, will we behold the beauty of God through Jesus Christ? And then will we share the beauty of God through the gospel so that Orangeburg can be beautiful? Will we? Let's pray together.